0: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I just assimilated too much contraband.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. Enhance your calm, Anna.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Space the <laughs> Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of Foucaultian power dynamics and socio-emotional selectivity theory. Today, we'll be talking about Demolition Man. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The City We Became, and The Vast of Night. If you're listening to this, well, obviously you're a fan, have you considered becoming a patron?
1: That's a great idea,
0: It's It's a really cool idea. You get our episodes early, you get bonus episodes, like the Batman episode we just did, or Mm. maybe that's the the Batman episode we just did. (laughs) It's the the Batman. (laughs) The the Batman episode we just did. Yes. Uh, You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash spacethenation. If you've already done that and you just want to spread the word about us, you know, rate and review, tell your friends and neighbors.
1: All of this would give us joy, joy feelings is what we're telling you.
0: (laughs) And And you can also
1: reach us on Twitter. I am at Dan Dresner. She is at Anna Marie Cox.
0: Well, Dan, before we get started, how are you? How are you?
1: So I worry, Anna, when you ask me these questions, we wind up like devolving into talks about the weather, but I'm not going to lie, I'm pissed off right now because even though it is almost April, it's like 20 degrees outside where I am. And, and you know what? I recognize that weather in New England in the spring is widely variable, but this is too far. The line must be drawn <laughs> here is what I am saying. But beyond that, I am good. How are you?
0: I'm okay. You know, it's that time of year in Austin where you try to spend as much time as possible outside hmm. because of the temperature. And But on the other hand, because it isn't humid yet, it's fire season. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's always trade-offs, Anna. There are always trade-offs. I guess I'm also happy because it appears that I managed to go to that conference that I referenced a couple episodes ago, and I don't think I have COVID, so... I'm knocking on wood, but like you know, hey, that was that was a nice thing to happen.
0: So we are talking about Demolition Man. It is for our schlock or awe series. Mm-hmm. Dan, why this movie?
1: Well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, the the immediate practical one is that we originally intended to do everything everywhere all at once right now, but because the the man has decided that it is only <laughs> the being Patriarch released. Fault. Yes. I, I blame Cocteau, <laughs> but like it, it was only being released in New York and LA, so we were denied the opportunity to see it, so we had to, to switch. It has been more than six months since our last Schlocker Awe episode, unless you count all of Emmer Carey. And I choose not to do that for a variety of reasons. And I have to say, it was one of these-this is one of these movies that I was stumbling across, I think, in the last month at one point, and I thought you know what, this seems like the perfect schlocker awe uh, category because I remember this movie kind of surprising me when I watched it at first, but, like, is it actually good or not? I mean, if memory serves, Sandra Bullock won a golden raspberry for this, which seems unfair, frankly, you know, for her performance. But, yeah.
0: Well, I actually didn't put this in the story behind the story, but I can tell you that the writer won two golden raspberries, but for Hudson Hawk... Ah uh, something else. Hudson Hawk but, is
1: another Schlocker Awe episode potentially, I guess, but you know, although I'm not it has sure nothing it's to do with it, science fiction, but, but it's just weird. It is very weird. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I think this is a perfect Schlocker Awe film because I think there's a formula we can use, Dan. Mm. It's when a movie gets generally bad reviews, mm-hmm. but people can quote from it.
1: Yes. Oh, thank you. That is like cocktail level sim- simplicity in <laughs> terms of the You just continue equation.
0: to go, like, that's your new compliment. Uh, I, also- I
1: wish to follow you, I guess is what I am saying. Yes, that's, that's, <laughs> that is, that's an excellent way of putting it. No, it's true. It's a movie that, like, the critics don't like, but that clearly has a second life when people watch it. And there is clearly something there that actually connects with viewers.
0: Yeah. So, Dan, we have a, a section that we have started doing called Chekhov's What's It?, What is your Chekhov's what's it for this movie?
1: I think it has to be The Three Seashells, which (laughs) I am not going to explain, but I gotta admit, this is one of those inspired little aspects of this movie that like, it's something I never would have thought about, but does tell you potentially ways in which the future might be different.
0: It is a really cool way to identify like a specific futuristic thing that Mm -hmm. I think not a lot of writers and creators think about. So it is a really cool thing. And also,
1: and I would add in all seriousness, by the way, the perfect thing about the use of the three seashells is you know they exist. You never find out how they actually work. And that is the appropriate amount of detail. Unless
0: you Google it.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not going to Google it. No, And
0: and there is an answer. And I would just encourage people to not Google
1: it. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that.
0: I just don't Google it. Then you'll know. And it's not as funny. It's just gross. I'll just say that. Yeah. So, but I agree. It is kind of one of the more inspired things in... In the movie. Mm-hmm. My Chekhov's what's-it is the freeze ball thingy. You the know, blue dot, the, yes. The blue dot that yeah. causes things to freeze immediately. Yeah. Because, you know, we have this elaborate, naked Stallone going into <laughs> freeze, where I think we might see little little Sly. A little. Just a, a shot of tiny Sly. Not tiny, but like... He's well, he, floating He's floating around a lot of steroids, naked. So,
1: yeah, yeah. It, you that, know, it, he, <laughs> yes, it, yes.
0: And it's a very long scene, and I was kind of like, I mean... Am I supposed to be liking this? I mean, it's <laughs> fine, but it's going on for a long time, and then they put the ball in that freezes, that freezes everything. Up. Yes, and then it comes back later. There you go, as Chekhov would have said. Yeah, and I've I have added a section, Dan.
1: I see, Anna. So the section I believe this is your now suggestion. Is, yes. Okay. So we we've talked about this. I think this came up in Emory Carey, but it's basically your red line. In other words, when you watch a film or read a book or watch a television show. You know, you need to provide the willing suspension of disbelief. That is what the viewer is bringing to the table. And let's face it, listeners, we have all seen films that we know are completely gonzo or absurd or moonfall-like. But the question becomes, what is the, the element of the plot where, like, I could buy all of this absurdity, but here, now we've crossed a line. I no longer suspend my disbelief. Yeah. So, yeah. Anna, what is your red line on this film?
0: Dan, my red line is that a California cop would get a harsh sentence for anything. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that is my red line. Oh, it came early. That it came very that's, early.
1: That's bad, Anna. Oh, that's a fair, fair point.
0: I, my- I should say this about the red lines, which is obviously it doesn't it's not actually a, effective chronologically, you know, like because mm-hmm. obviously I still watched the movie. Right. It's just, that was the thing I was like, oh boy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's Gonna take a
0: little work from here on out. Did you have a red line with this movie, Dan?
1: I think my red line was the self-driving cars working so well. Um, (laughs) That's always a beef I have with with sort of, you know, like, if we ever do Minority Report, that would be, you know, one that we might uh, bring up there. But like the idea that self-driving cars would would always work, I am, let's just say, wildly skeptical of and will continue to be up until the moment self-driving cars actually happen.
0: Oh, you know what? Hey, Dan. You know yeah. what wasn't a red line for me? What? There wasn't a qwerty keyboard, or there was, <laughs> but like when, but
1: you but when, the, the, uh, when you were not si- upset no, about the. No, but when campaign. Simon Phoenix yes. is at the
0: kiosk, right. it's apparently not a qwerty keyboard.
1: No, it didn't look like it. It looked like sort yeah. of a fancy. So ATM. there's some
0: kind of other better interface that's been invented at the police headquarters. There's still
1: there different. were keyboards. Yes, yes. Although, but but, but to be fair. In the police station, they also used like verbal, it was like, they were talking to Siri basically.
0: Right. Maybe I, mean, I didn't intend to get into this right now, but like I did have a thought during all the police station scenes that that was a credible, incredibly ineffective UI. Like. <laughs> Like that user interface was Oh oh. I thought you meant AI for a second, but yes, no, yes, yes. Uh, that user interface was very clunky. <laughs> yeah, I agree with
1: that. That that was that was it was bad projection into the future, I guess. Okay though, we should move to the story behind the story. So Anna I gotta admit I'm legit interested in the backstory behind this film because this does have some positive elements. It it does have a sort of, you know, cult classic kind of thing to it. And it's not like I associate any of the major players involved with this film In any way whatsoever with sci-fi, how did this happen?
0: Well, I'll give you some basic info first, which is it Mm -hmm. was released in October, nineteen ninety-three. The budget was—they have a really (laughs) Wikipedia gives a really wide spread for the budget, which I find amusing. It's between forty-five and seventy-seven million. Good lord! (laughs) But it made almost one hundred and sixty million, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a sixty-two percent, which which is not. Terrible, but but not great either. A couple of reviews. Basically, Demolition Man is a futuristic cop picture with slightly more imagination and wit than the typical example of the slash and burn genre. And I swear to God, that is the ravest review I could get. There were many like lukewarm reviews, Hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. this is pretty good for what it is, basically. (laughs) But some people found it not pretty good for what it is. One that I, I will read just in case I forget to point this out. Ultimately, the script's often sharp social satire is drowned out by the noise and confusion. It is also undercut by casting virtually all of the psychopathically murderous criminals as minority group members, which is a thing that happens in that movie.
1: Yeah, although that's Jesse Ventura hatred, I'm just going to say. But, like, it's a fair point. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
0: Now... It was co-written um, by two people. Actually, they wound up going to arbitration about who actually did the most work on it. But the person who had the idea was mm-hmm. Peter Linkoff, who still works in television. And he was inspired by Lethal Weapon, which I, I think you can see totally, right? And you can
1: literally see Lethal Weapon in the movie. That's there's right. A, there's a poster I, for Lethal and Weapon And someone
0: 3. signed it. And oh. I'm curious who signed it. It was a signature. Okay. And he had just read about celebrities getting cryogenically frozen. So, bing, bang, boom. Yep. Got it. It was not a very funny movie as written, <laughs> apparently. So they gave it to, and this makes total sense once I found out, the author of Heathers.
1: Thank you. That is what I needed to know. That is the right? That was yes. okay. Now suddenly this movie makes much more sense,
0: yes. yeah. Okay. like all that language is just like lifted from Heathers, basically. <laughs> That Daniel is, that Waters is, is, is the guy's name
1: that you could actually picture like the Heathers, the ones that survived growing up and, and being adults in 2032 talking like this. That is that is a perfect way of thinking about
0: it. And also he kind of brought to the table the the genericness of the landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was inspired by, I think, have you ever seen City Walk? It's like a plastic version of Los Angeles. And he wondered what. I mean not pl- not literally plastic it's like a set of los angeles in los angeles yeah oh, okay like it's los angeles playing itself i don't know how else to put it sort of like <laughs> a disney version of los angeles in los angeles mm-hmm. i think i've over explained <laughs> and if you thought the movie was had a had a sort of an odd cast already mm-hmm. wait till you hear what could have been steven seagal <laughs> as the stallone character and jean-claude van damme as simon phoenix
1: so, let me put it this way: I actually think Van Damme could have been Simon Phoenix. That way, he, I think he would have been fine. Yeah. I think Wesley Snipes is really good, actually, or like he, is, he, he, he brings some joy to it. And I'm not normally a fan of Stallone's acting as a general rule in these kinds of films, but I will say there is no way Steven Seagal could have been in this film <laughs> and and given off the same vibe as Stallone did. Like that, I mean, that again, it just wouldn't have been bad.
0: It, Stallone has his limitations, right? It's true, and you see those limitations. Yeah in this movie. Right. But Steven Seagal has even more limitations. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, there are actually a few lines Stallone says at times that are legitimately funny, and there is no way Steven Seagal could do that at all. So, yes, yeah. yes. I'm glad to see that Stallone wound up taking it rather than Seagal. Uh, and
0: Stallone, interesting enough, also he suggested Jackie Chan for Simon Phoenix, which Jackie Chan, I think, probably wisely turned down. He, he's always plays heroes. He just didn't want to pollute his hero...
1: Yeah, I'm shaking my head Image. vigorously at Anna here. Although I will say, if Jet Lee had done it, that might have been good.
0: That, um, that could have been really Jet interesting. Jet Li could have
1: been interesting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah,
0: Wesley Snipes apparently turned down the role several times, but they convinced him to do it. And I, it's Wikipedia, is just like they convinced him to do it. And I don't know <laughs> if it was like one of the things like we saw in Emmerich which was take the check, Wesley. <laughs> don't worry about the acting. No, I you kind of wouldn't imagine I, that that could have been in play. Maybe,
1: but I, I'm going to give Snipe some credit here. He put some actual energy into the role. He's not like it's a badly written role in a lot of ways, but like he is actually trying to do something, which I don't yeah. think is true of, let's say, many of the actors in Emmerich Harry, would be the way. To I think
0: it. it's a flaw of the movie that he's not able to do that much. Fair like, Yeah. I got this enormous sense of frustration, almost, from, like, mm-hmm. watching him. Like, yeah. maybe we can talk about it later, because whether or not he, it was a joyful thing for him. Yeah. And also interesting, there was a daughter subplot. He, he mentions his daughter briefly, yeah. um, Spartan does. But people made the assumption when he, like, starts talking about how he needs to find his daughter. Apparently, audiences made the assumption that Sandra Bullock was his daughter. And then they have the sex scene. So yeah. that made people really uh. uncomfortable.
1: Which is understandable. So they, yeah. So
0: they just cut the whole thing. They just cut it. I will point out this was Sandy Bullock's kind of first big role. Yeah. And I, in America, fell in love.
1: And justifiably know? so, I would add. I think she's actually really good in this. It's a fun oh, character. Oh, she's
0: she's fantastic. She's delightful. Like, yes. And I can't wait to go see the new movie she has.
1: Oh, the Lost City. Yeah, the one with Channing Tatum. Yeah, with all the cute boys in it, Yes, exactly. You need to go see this. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's true.
0: And so speaking of going to see things, I don't know. (laughs) It's not such a great segue, but we do need to move on. Uh, Dan, let's talk about the plot.
1: Alright, let's start with Act 1. I don't remember the 1990s being this bad. So it is 1996, the Hollywood sign is on fire, planes don't land at LAX anymore, and our hero cop John Spartan, aka the Demolition Man, which is said explicitly multiple times as to why he's called this, is after bad boy Simon Phoenix, who has taken some bus passengers hostage. In what might be Truly, the single silliest assault on a villain fortress. Spartan does the <laughs> following, and I, I, I do need like I'd forgotten this, or like maybe I, like whenever I catch it on cable, I miss the first part of this, but it's like, bizarre. He jumps out of it. He he's in the uh, the back of a helicopter. He throws an equipment bag out. He jumps out bungee style, yelling "Phoenix" as he jumps out. We never see the equipment bag again. Like it it just goes away, and then he just takes out the bad guy red shirts with his pistols. Spartan apprehends also F- he yeah.
0: says takes a maniac to catch K- a maniac
1: which to be fair is the perfect one sentence description for this film at yeah, least the, and the then actual and he says plot. it again yeah. later in case yes. like
0: you missed it the first time so
1: yes there we go <laughs> so Spartan apprehends Phoenix but not before the building explodes and all of the bus passengers are found dead Phoenix claims Spartan knew about them and attacked him anyway so Spartan as Anna pointed out, you know, it, somewhat implausibly, is sentenced to rehabilitative cryofreeze for 75 years. Phoenix is also put on ice. So, fast forward to 2032, and welcome to San Angeles, a merger of Los Angeles, San Diego, and Santa Barbara, where crime appears to be a thing of the past, and the police are all sunny as Lenina Huxley's smile, all thanks to the wisdom of Guru Raymond Cocteau. That is, until Simon Phoenix, fought out for a parole hearing, Easily escapes and engages in many MDKs, murder, death, kills. The SAPD is unsure how to handle a honest-to-goodness maniac. Anna, I did like the computer instructions for like speak to the maniac in a forceful voice, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was later. That was legitimately well done. Yeah,
0: use a more forceful voice.
1: (laughs) Yes, say add or else. (laughs) Yes, that that was all well done. Huxley, a fangirl of the twentieth century, proposes thawing out Spartan to catch him. Ana, we're going to talk about the future world building very soon. But the thing that struck me about the film's prologue was basically, I mean, this came out in 1993. It basically projected that three years later, the crime wave that ostensibly had peaked in the late 80s, early 90s, would just get exponentially worse. And that's the thing that actually is most jarring to me watching this film now.
0: This is a very reactionary movie, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) I will talk about the politics of it in depth. Or at least with enough depth that I'm satisfied, it might be, hopefully it's not too much for listeners. Certainly
1: more depth than the actual film. So keep going. Yes, yes. yes. yes.
0: I don't think much thought went into the politics, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one way things are reactionary. It's just Mm knee-jerk. I want to say this is kind of off topic, but it it, it reminded me of this because I'm reading a horror novel set in Los Angeles in the near future. Mm -hmm. Same kind of thing. It was like written in the 80s. Oh, I see. Yeah. And the number of references to crack... (laughs) <laughs> or is just like I'm like, oh right, everyone talked about crack all the time. That yep. was like it was hugely scary. That was a thing. And yeah. it was all hysteria. <laughs> it was just all I mean, it's bad, but like there's no such thing as crack babies, you know? Mm. Like and of course the CIA did it. Moving on. Um <laughs> I'm kidding, Dan. I'm kidding.
1: Honest views do not represent those of her co-host.
0: <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Well, mostly, mostly yes. kidding. And so another thing I want to point out about the sort of weird reactionary politics of this movie is one of the things that Huxley admires about Spartan is uh, over a thousand arrests in three years, all authentic criminals. Mm. And there's something about the authentic that bothers me. And I can't put my finger on what, and then, you know, spartan is a one-man mass incarceration machine like it's just this is a movie that comes out of our tough on crime era basically
1: yes and it's a a movie that suggests that things were going to get worse and that's the i think in some ways that's that is a sort of discordant thing because as it turned out this movie actually is released as the crime wave is starting to subside but they don't know this so that's the thing
0: i will also point out that huxley's commitment to the 90s extends to her (laughs) eyebrows
1: Which right. I do have to ask, as a heterosexual male, this is something I don't always observe. What is a nineties about the eyebrows?
0: They are very thin.
1: Okay. I was just checking. They
0: are like penciled in. Got it. They're like yeah. they you know, just like you could draw them with a protractor. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Got it. The look of these days is much more natural. Okay. Good like to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I I will say, this is some pretty bad fake fighting, too. I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but.
1: (laughs) Oh, I will a little later. Yes. No, this is not like the weird thing about this film is that it really is supposed to be an action film. And the action is,
0: yeah, It's, 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 it's not good.
1: No, it's not good.
0: Yeah. And what's also strange about that is Wesley Snipes is a martial arts expert. Right. Like he's genuinely good at it, and mm-hmm. we should do Blade, by the way.
1: Oh yes, well we can do Blade before the the other Blade. Oh, you comes know what? Out. We that
0: should we, have yeah. actually like a horror science fiction month, not next October. Oh, oh no, because we're doing Butler. No, Butler-Vim- yeah, before Butler Vember, we could do Scary October.
1: Good, that's that's got some promise to it. We'll talk. about We that.
0: like themes. We listeners. do. Listeners,
1: we do. It helps us plan. It does.
0: Speaking of planning, let's move on.
1: Let's go on to Act Two. What did you do during the franchise wars, Anna? I was, oh, I thought you were going to say I ate a Pizza Hut or something. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> up against the wall, Burger King. <laughs> exactly. So, I beheaded the Burger King. That's oh, what I did nice. in the franchise wars.
1: Nice, nice. I busted the hamburger.
0: So, Spartan
1: is thought out and even more disoriented than usual for a Sylvester Stallone character. And rightly so. The San Angeles he wakes up to. Is much more pleasant than it was when he was frozen, but it all seems like a lot of the fun things in life sex, alcohol, profanity have been outlawed by this Cocteau guy. Spartan correctly infers that Phoenix will try to get guns. He heads to the 20th Century Museum, where there are guns in display cases, and he and Phoenix shoot it out. Phoenix escapes and holds Cocteau at gunpoint, but appears to be unable to kill him, almost as if he was programmed not to do that. Cocteau orders Phoenix to kill Edgar Friendly, the leader of an underground group, literally and figuratively, called the Scraps, who refuse to obey Cocteau and live in the abandoned sewers.
0: The names in this movie are pretty great. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spartan shows up at this little tete-a-tete, and Cocteau (laughs) thanks him for saving his life, even though he didn't, and invites him to Taco Bell, the last survivor of the franchise wars. Fun fact about that, apparently in the international releases of the film, because Taco Bell was only a U.S. franchise in the international versions of the film, it's Pizza Hut, I believe. Yep. 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 So... I don't know, again, as I said, watching this film again, I found the action Anodyne, but the world building is just goddamn spectacular. It really is amazing. What is your favorite fact about the future?
0: I just love the language of this movie. And mm-hmm. when we do Debris Field, I'm just going to quote some things. I'm just going to like <laughs> read like a bunch of the stuff that I wrote down. I won't do it here. But the language is amazing. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me about the language is that it somehow seems a little futuristic, but I can't put my finger on, like, what it's satirizing, really. Like, what's supposed to be future? Like, happy, happy, joy, joy. Like, it's a happy language, but they yeah. have words for bad things. Right. It's not, like, a. I. It's
1: literally distinct, because it's a combination of, like, you have joy, joy on the one hand, but, like, the whole enhance your calm or... Yeah. Um, you know, like, I, I can't... I'm blanking on some of the other lines, like the one that the police chief says about, you know... Or what's your boggle? Um, yeah, what's
0: your boggle, which is a great which one. Which is a great totally.
1: one. I want to say he's. it's a little mocking this sort of New Agey at Los Angeles stuff, but I don't...
0: Mm-hmm. That That's
1: the closest thing I can come to. I think it's just weird, which is what makes it work, by the way. It, it, yeah. It, it, Not
0: everything that satire has to be a direct satire of something.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's true.
0: And it is weird, and you're right. I think, of anything, it's just... It's just you know, exponentially California.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And I agree that the world building is the best part of the movie. Yep. And I'm trying to think what I call it, spectacular. <laughs> it, you know, I, I, I told you when we were talking about uh, this before we taped that I did not enjoy this movie as much as I did the first time I saw it. I think the first time I saw it, I was so impressed by the world building. Mm-hmm. I let a lot of other things kind of slide. Because mm-hmm. it is good. And it's yeah. very consistent. It, and it it's is, the be- It is.
1: we agree, it is far and away the best thing in the film. Yeah.
0: And it's weird because the world building exceeds the quality of the film.
1: Very much so, yes. Which
0: is usually, in all the movies we've talked about that we don't like, mm-hmm. or one of us doesn't like, I feel like it's the world building that's let us down. Yeah. Like, it's bad world building that's the sign of a bad sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's rare to get good world building in a so-so movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, like it, it, in some ways it's frustrating because I agree with you. Like, It would have been interesting like if someone took this world and then had told a different story with different actors because that actually would have been legitimately interesting.
0: And also, we don't have to talk about this for a long time, right? but how did Cocteau come to power? That's like a flaw in the world building. Like yeah. in, I've spoken before, I love exposition. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I want to know how things happened. I love a good exposition dump. And I also admire movies that just kind of like go with it too. Like there is a certain like gutsiness to just being like, nope, this is our world. Yeah, you don't get to find out why. Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah.
1: And as we said, in some ways, it's like the three seashells thing. We're like, I don't want to know more about that. Like there there are aspects where you can just sort of go with it. But I do agree. Like one of the the, the weird things about this film is. It's not just very Californian, it's very L.A. centric. Like, as far as yeah. I can tell, the entire rest of the earth might be a smoking, radiating ruin. Yeah, that's also that another
0: question that I had. Like, yeah. president of what? Right. Schwarzenegger is president of where? <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. I know. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm, they don't say, so you assume it's the United States, but... I apparently there's they, they have very vague references to the big one the big earthquake right the big earthquake of 2011 the I think earthquake. yeah yeah 2010 actually 2010 sorry and maybe yeah. California is now an island who knows
1: I don't know they do um, they do talk about like Schwarzenegger being able to be president because of the 61st amendment to the constitution which actually now that I think about it that was my red line I just realized <laughs> that was that's my lot red lot line amendments. my red line that is way <laughs> too many amendments there is no way they would have passed that many amendments I just realized that was my actual red line I feel that yeah I'm glad we talked about that's this
0: that's good I also noticed that that reference yes, that's, a, yeah. that's a number that comes from someone who hasn't like I guess you know altavisted um, <laughs> <laughs> the constitution
1: yes fair enough <laughs>
0: And I just have more questions about the world building, but I'll get into that actually when I talk about the politics of it. Okay. I also want to point out that the laws might not be as strict as kind of they're implied to be because Huxley does imply that she's tipsy when she says, I imbibed contraband. I assimilated too much contraband.
1: Oh, that's fair. Although I will say again- th- that,
0: that can't, that, Dan, it can't mean anything else. Yeah,
1: like, that's true. Okay. <laughs> No, the thing I was going to say is that I one of the, one of the things that the film is actually consistent on and because I ch- I checked this is that it really you have you know one of the one of the aspects of the world building is that if you curse, you know, you are yeah. fined, you know, something uh, and like a receipt prints out. And they did that for every oh, yeah. curse word. I mean, like the only time I think at one point Stallone says crap and that apparently doesn't rise to that level, but everything else does.
0: Oh, I don't have much other evidence except that you know, (laughs) except she does imply she's tipsy. We don't really know how strict the world, like how strict this universe is. Right. Unless we judge by the cussing, although we also don't know what the fine is.
1: That's true. So yeah,
0: it could be a negligible fine. That's possible. Anyway, this is not that interesting, I don't think. But people, although the people who listen to this podcast probably have some of the same thoughts. I'm sure they do. I actually know that. I am for sure, you know, positive that, People who listen to this podcast are like, yeah, I wonder how much that fine was.
1: (laughs) That'll be a good topic for the Discord, I think. So you better (laughs) fucking tell us, okay? That's all I'm saying. (laughs) All right. All right, let's move on to Act 3. This fluid transfer is rated PG-13. So dinner at Taco Bell is interrupted by Friendly and the Scraps raiding food trucks. Huxley, aroused by the violence, we'll get to that in a little bit, suggests having sex with Spartan. It turns out to not involve fluid transfer, and Spartan is definitely not into it, so he leaves and starts knitting. No, really, he starts knitting, because that's apparently part of the rehabilitative program that he had while he was under
0: cryo super smart by the way very good very good to do
1: that uh, Spartan looks at security footage and notes that Phoenix did not shoot Cocteau, even though he had ample opportunity to do so. Spartan and Huxley review the cryo prison records and discover that Phoenix's rehabilitation program was tailored by Cocteau to make him even more dangerous than he was in 1996. He gets training in martial arts, computer hacking, torture techniques—you name it. So Phoenix persuades Cocteau that to defeat Friendly, he needs additional cryo prisoners thawed out for his gang. Meanwhile, Spartan and Huxley venture under ground to find Edgar Friendly, and they meet Dennis Leary. They save him from Phoenix's assassination attempt. A car chase ensues, during which Phoenix tells Spartan that those 1996 bus hostages that were found dead back when he was, you know, sentenced, they were already dead when Spartan did the absurd assault upon the building. (laughs) Psych! Anna, I have a very simple question. Between Snipes and Leary's performances, how much cocaine do you think there was on set? (laughs)
0: Uh, Dan, as much as I like to speculate about other people's drug use, I actually think we're going to look at caffeine more than that's, Coke here. That's a
1: better answer? Okay, that's good. Yes.
0: I, both of them strike me as kind of straight edge, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, straight edge in the sense of no, no drugs. I, I mean, Dennis Leary is really good in this, except when he does Dennis Leary. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I had forgotten about that goddamn, like, cigarette song. The, he was famous for these rants, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 And he's become, like, something of a decent actor, mm-hmm. you know, like, does character acting here and there, and is, is is good, and he's good in this, except when he does, and it totally breaks, like, the film, you know? And
1: apparently, like, that if I read it correctly, that was his own shtick. Like, it wasn't, like, that wasn't written by the screenwriters. He just Oh, yeah, like, to they got rants. him yeah. to do that. Right, yeah. But
0: yeah. it kind of, I mean, again, more on this later, but I... Preferred him actually acting.
1: <laughs> no, and to that's a, it,
0: it. Is actually delivering a monologue.
1: It is a problem also because, again, one of the things, about, in some ways, it it sabotages the film's world building because, mm-hmm. you know, the world building is all about how everyone speaks in a different language, and you would expect that Edgar Friendly, as an underground type, is going to talk differently. The problem is he talks like Dennis Leary in the 1990s.
0: Yeah, and so yeah.
1: It, it's not like there's no effort given to make him sound different than he does, and so it actually draws you out of the film. So I agree with you on that.
0: And then on the the sex and violence, <laughs> again, the film's writing is amazing. And the line, the joy, joy way you pause to make a glib witticism before doing battle with that strangely weaponed scrap <laughs> is an amazing line. Also, God, power to Sandra Bullock for like getting through some of these. Li- oh. I want to compliment Sandy Bullock on getting through some of these lines because they're kind of mouthfuls. (laughs) And she is the one
1: who speaks a lot of the sort of 2032 dialogue and she really does sell it, yeah.
0: We haven't mentioned Benjamin Bratt yet and Mm -hmm. he's also very good. Yeah. He's very funny, very good. I did find the... Turn on of the violence unsettling. Perhaps it's supposed to be. <laughs> I don't think so. I think in the in the logic of this movie, it's just like yeah, people get turned on by violence. You know.
1: I mean to be fair, this is, it, is like you know. The, I think that
0: happens, I guess. That's the 1990s you know?
1: movie aesthetic. I think also. It's, but yes, it's true,
0: yeah. but like, and also her acting is very good. I guess right. Mm-hmm. I just the look in her eyes when she's watching him is very unsettling. <laughs> um, and then as far as like the actual virtual sex scene mm-hmm. it's fine i do want to say maybe there's something to be said for non-messy sex that's all <laughs> we don't have to go into it but
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's a choice i think it's a valid choice
1: entirely i you know what this should again also be a topic of conversation in the discord um, <laughs> or not it doesn't have to be or
0: yeah, maybe not get too deep in it but like i am curious like again <laughs> i just think it would be a, an option mm-hmm. that that one should be able to choose. Except, fashion. okay, you
1: know what? All right, hold on. No, I'm not going to let this drop because I'm sorry. Like, okay. if we're really going to go there, the. If- it's still messy. And, like, what was interesting was that even in this sort of clinical thing— Oh, yeah, thing, I
0: did have a, a question we, about the Salone side of the— Right,
1: course. exactly. Like, That's you notice that Sandra going. Bullock— Yes, <laughs> th- basically, Sandra Bullock I still has to give him a towel. So, like, you know, I'm yeah. sorry. It it, it it It's still messy is the point, you know. And, and I
0: actually—I mean, I, I kind of knew because since I'd seen it before, they didn't deal with this. But mm-hmm. I did immediately think, like, all, did they figure out a way to, like, not— do that. Nope. Like, nope. <laughs> was that was like, clearly gonna be part of it. it was like, yeah. It was and like, so the moment that happens. Is there some yeah. psychic way, like I don't know, but
1: So I I and
0: we know, is of course like there's you don't here we can say this without getting too gross. Yes. in this version, uh-huh. it's not that you avoid any bodily fluids, it's just they aren't commingled.
1: Right. So in other words, Yes, there's no fluid transfer. There's still fluid, yes.
0: Anna. Yes. And
1: so that yes. has to be still dealt So It
0: could be messy. Yes. But, not as, but I'll just say not as messy. Fair either. enough. All right. <laughs> like we should move on before but things get any weirder. I'm glad
1: we wrestled with that, though. That was an yeah. important topic. So let's close with Act 4, The Big Freeze. Unable to harm Cocteau, Phoenix has one of his gang members kill him instead, which does seem like an elegant solution.
0: And also, Cocteau should have thought of that. Yeah. I mean, like.
1: Yeah, that was bad. Bad planning on fr- Carlos' part. B-
0: one, there was sort of an economy to that that I like. Yes, it's sort of like when Harrison Ford just shoots the sword guy in and, Raiders of the Lost um, Ark. Yeah, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, but at the same time, I was like. That seems like a really simple workaround you should have thought about. <laughs> the,
1: the, the analogy I actually thought of was Robocop, where, you know, like, he can't kill an employee, and then the boss says you're fired, and that enables you know him to kill him right. at the end. So, yeah. Right. But fair enough. So Phoenix then begins the process to thaw out all of the Cryo-Prison's most dangerous convicts, so he can, you know, just sort of do that voodoo that he did so well. Spartan gets some guns from Friendly's crew and pursues him into the cryo-prison. During the fight, uh, he breaks open a vial of cryogenic chemical, that blue dot, that rapidly freezes Phoenix's body solid. Spartan then kicks his frozen head off, shattering it and ruining any chances for a decent sequel. The cryo-prison explodes, with Spartan escaping just in time. The police- And
0: all of that action is kind of lame.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's not it's not interesting in the slightest and the special effects are a little cheesy also if we're you know going to go there the police are afraid that the loss of cocteau and the cryo prison will end society as they know it friendly totally embraces this idea spartan i can't believe it he both sides it suggesting that the cops loose it up and the scraps take a shower combining the best aspects of both order and freedom spartan then kisses huxley and roll credits
0: So Spartan is joining the New York Times editorial board.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We are more than two thirds of the way between 1996 and 2032. So do you think this film has anything interesting to say about our current politics? The only line that Phoenix says in the entire film where he actually seems to like have some genuine conviction behind it is when he tells Cocteau, you can't take away people's right to be assholes.
0: I feel like this is a conversation that could go on a bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a really interesting question. I also will say, to continue my love affair with the language of the movie, the full line is great. Oh, yeah. You can't take away people's right to be assholes. That's who you remind me of an evil Mr. Rogers. So good. You know what I
1: like? I like that Phoenix, even Phoenix acknowledged that it was an evil Mr. Rogers. That Mr. Rogers is actually good. Like, even Simon Phoenix acknowledged, I can't, you know, it's not actually Mr. Rogers. You can't
0: ding Mr. Rogers. You can't ding Mr.
1: Rogers. Like, we've discovered the red line that even Phoenix will not cross. Yes.
0: But it does put me in mind of our rather tiresome discourse about cancel culture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And how... People who think that cancel culture is a thing tend to equate the criticism of speech or or opinions as outlawing them um, or somehow suppressing them.
1: Yes, as, as consistent with that, as you said, that New York Times editorial,
0: right? Which, to be fair, there is discourse. Oh, well, you're going to to be fair that editorial. It was really no, I'm bad.
1: not going to to be fair the editorial. I am going to be. I am going to, to be fair, however, the the deeper point, which is this sort of, it, I mean, this goes all the way back to John Stuart Mill's On Liberty, the idea that social sanctions are are an issue. But that said, I do think the difference is, is in the film is that they actually are outlawed. And well, so, yeah, they,
0: and also, but I also think the film is sort of positing, part, part, kind of thoughtlessly, mm-hmm. but positing like, this is where we'll end up. Right, yeah. And also, I did that line, I am absolutely positive that Barry Weiss or Bill Maher or Joe Rogan has said the line, you can't take away people's right to be assholes. That is like such an intellectual dark web, like way to think about things. I also want to point out that like, no, you can't. If you're saying it as a philosophical description, no, you cannot take away people's right to be assholes because being an asshole is an interior choice. Exactly.
1: Yeah. but you can have consequences for being an asshole.
0: You can have consequences for being yeah. an asshole. And that is where, you know, I diverge from what is generally the you know, the reactionary IDW kind of take, which mm-hmm. is that there are consequences and we need yeah. to be very careful about the legal consequences. Right. And that is why we have a democracy and voting and, and first arguments and, yeah. and a first amendment right. and courts and because it is easy to err, mm-hmm. it really is yeah i see that and i think it's also a thing that i hate about the idw is that they think people who they think like traditional liberals or they think of themselves as traditional liberals whatever are saying no like you should censure speech and i just think my position is like it's a danger in a democracy mm-hmm. you know like we need to have this thing where there are consequences for your actions, mm-hmm. but we don't conflate. Like I wrote a piece back in me too, which now seems so long ago and yet also so recent, <laughs> if that's possible. It is. Or it's still happening, I guess yeah. that the, <laughs> which there were the spate of people writing about how like, um, the, the guys that had been me Tooed. uh, mm-hmm had suffered, like, career executions. Like, they've, you know, yeah. they've lost their professional lives. There was a lot of, like, violent language yeah. about, like, the, the sufferings of these powerful men. And <laughs> people lose their jobs for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. And also, peop- there are consequences to reputations for all kinds of reasons. So, no, maybe that's a longer answer than you wanted, Dan. No, but- I actually
1: did want that long of an answer. I mean this sincerely because there are... I don't know if the film meant to be that serious about this, but there, it, that is the one way in which I think this film actually holds up remarkably well, which is not to say that it, it previewed cancel culture debates. I'm not trying to make that point. Right. But it did suggest, one of the things the film suggests is that there are social norms that over time do cause some sterility in terms of, of choice, and that is worth occasionally interrogating. Now I think in the film it's very easy to point out the ways in which it goes too far and it's not as easy to do so in real life so in that sense that's where I think there might be some difficulties but I but that said you know we're having debates now about whether or not like you know meat eating will be able to be a thing of the future because of climate change or you know even
0: think which is a very different argument by the way than sort of the ethos of the film right 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 like the film is like we're making choices for you because we of of things that we've defined as bad and good
1: right but like I, i i mean the example that was given of like sandy bullock gives this line a couple of times like you know this is is not good therefore it is bad therefore it is illegal and it's about smoking and the thing right. that I was struck by is, to be fair, that is actually one of the aspects of this film that I think is spot on. There was still smoking in the early 90s. There is, you know, there is smoking now, but not in the same way. And so that is an area where but I think But a lot it's of that
0: was cultural.
1: Yes. Yes, that's fair.
0: And not legal. Right. I mean, right. the only parts of it, the, the parts that were legal mm-hmm. were when the tobacco companies were, you know, forced to admit that they had been lying mm-hmm. for decades. Yeah. And... You know, one could say that's sort of the marketplace of ideas working. I guess that, like, you know, they they were not playing fair in promoting their product, and I would, and so yeah, people died.
1: Right, and I think in some ways, like this. let me put it this way. The, the film clearly, as you say, is reactionary in terms of certain things like, oh, yeah, like, well, you know, we can eat meat and, you know, smoke and drink and do all these yeah. things. And I kind of ha- felt that the way watching this movie that I would feel like if I was suddenly transplanted back into an early 90s bar and where there was smoking, which <laughs> is I think I actually would have this like rush of nostalgia for a second. But then I would also remember that I hated going to bars where there was smoking because all your clothes smelled terrible at the end oh, of it. God and it was just yeah. awful and like you know i like now not having to deal with that shit so like there is a small part of me that understands what they're talking about but i but not quite as much as i think i would as i would have expected maybe when i was watching the film the first time
0: and i'll just say again it is a balancing act yeah it always is a balancing act and we probably need people who are hair trigger about it Mm -hmm. so that we have these discussions yeah you know
1: i like it Um, this way i think if nothing else it is it's a worthwhile topic for discussion there are a lot of times where cancel culture i think is wildly overblown but i remember i had a debate with kathy young about this on paragraph a couple of years ago and since then i i still maintain that i think she's overreacting but i also think there have been times where i've underreacted so I, i think they're valid it's a valid conversation to have there is a both yeah, sides so I, element of this, this. Yeah.
0: Well, there, there's kind of a both sides, but it's also something that I've been talking about with actually an op-ed editor. Hmm. That the thing, because we were kind of bemoaning the fact that the thing I wanted to write was <laughs> basically, you can't always know. <laughs> like, can't always. Sometimes the right answer is, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like in the example I use here is should you be friends with, you know, a Nazi or let me not make it a Nazi. Like, should you be friends with, you know, someone who holds views that are far right, right. to you? Mm-hmm. And I'll say transphobe mm. or someone who has opinions about trans issues that my trans friends are very hostile to. or yeah. t- hostile to. Yeah. Can I be friends with both of those people? Yeah. So, right. Right. And the answer to that is, it depends.
1: <laughs> you missed your calling as an academic, Anna.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, there's no op-ed to write except for, guys, let's, like, not have an answer to this. Let's not say that there's an answer. Mm-hmm. Because it really does depend on your previous relationship with that person, on how many of, on what damage it might do to your other relationships. Mm-hmm you know, on how important that person is in your life, to what degree do they hold those beliefs? All of that stuff matters, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, also the argument for staying friends with people who I disagree with, for instance, is that there are all kinds of studies out there that show that the only way people change their minds is through the accumulation of ideas and um, social connections. right? That Isolating slowly. them
1: will just cause them to double down in those beliefs.
0: Isolating them is the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. It usually drives them further. Arguing with them is the worst thing you can do. So, it, it, yeah, so it depends. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> you know what? This, this episode has already succeeded on it because say what you will about Devolution Man, the fact that we had to have this conversation is interesting. So, you know.
0: Okay. Uh, there I go. have more to say about the reactionary nature of this movie. But first, I have a question.
1: Oh, you do? Yes.
0: Is there IR in this movie?
1: Anna, it gives me joy-joy feelings to report that there is some IR in this film. So I would say that there are sort of three elements of, of IR that we see in, in various aspects of this film. The first is the ways in which, weirdly, the evolution of cooperation can leave societies unprepared for legitimately bad actors. I honestly think the fun-
0: <laughs> I like this. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> this is— is there a name for this? Because it's really funny.
1: Oh, the, evol- the evolutionary <laughs> theory.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, like or how you? Yeah. Is there a name for like? Oh, you just did that. You are now unprepared for. Yeah, negative Yeah. No,
1: not really. It's like it's it's basically just evolutionary game theory. But there's been arguments that that essentially suggest that if you have, if you manage to have a society where most people are going to cooperate, then eventually you have a lot of cooperation. But the problem is, is that. To get people to cooperate, you have to do so in a conditional way. You have to be prepared to punish those who defect from cooperation. But if it succeeds, then everyone is cooperating all the time. And over time, everyone forgets what the strategy is that got you to that place in the first place. And so, (laughs) it was awkwardly phrased, but I think it still holds up. And I I do think one of the things, my, my favorite part of this film, easily, was the when Phoenix originally escapes and it is clear that the police department has no freaking clue yeah. what to do. And like, you know, the, the AI instructions are just laughably inept. And so this demonstrates how in a society that paradoxically succeeds, at least in, in, you know, ensuring sort of orderly behavior that a legitimately bad actor can come in and completely flummox every other actor out there. I do think that the film's ambivalence toward violence or, or, Let me make it clear. The film embraces violence in a number of different ways. I was
0: going to say, I I don't want to go, but
1: the nominal. Ambivalence, a bit toward violence, uh, reflects how really stated it. ambivalence. Yes. Let's say well, it, it is actually <laughs> one of my favorite lines in the film, where Stallone at one point, Spartan, you know, tells Huxley, "Hurting people is not a good thing." Well, sometimes it's a good thing. I actually kind of wish he had like <laughs> rambled on for another minute or two on that. I would have loved to have heard Stallone trying to wrestle with that issue. But it, I will give at least props to the screenwriters for acknowledging that this is like we're not sure about how we're supposed to feel about this, or how the film is supposed to feel about this. And this is in accordance with how. Realists tend to feel about the use of force, which is they simultaneously think it's the most important thing in world politics, and therefore is the thing you have to pay attention to the most. But also, realists are among those IR scholars who are the most, you know, horrified by war itself and by the uh, the inhumanity that it actually causes. Otto, what is it?
0: I just think it's funny that there are there's a scale for how horrified people are about war. <laughs> like.
1: Let me put it this way. The, the better.
0: Uh, uh, you know, it's it's I'm I'm less horrified than other people, <laughs> but whatever.
1: <laughs> it's more about can you use, you know, like, it, I mean, it's the concept of just war. In other words, are there wars worth fighting for? Right. Yeah. And that's that's in some ways what I'm what I, mean I,
0: I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. I'm just no no, no, it's it fair just,
1: enough. Yeah, I understand.
0: And then finally,
1: Cocteau is correctly trying to pursue decapitation as a counterterrorism strategy. So the strategy is if you kill the terrorist leader, the idea is, might that, you know, eliminate the terrorist threat? There is some evidence that as a way to eliminate terrorist groups, decapitation can work. It's not that it always will, but that, um, you know, there are examples you can cite out there like the PKK in Turkey, where if you actually manage to take out the leader, it can potentially work. Dan. Yes.
0: Do you have anything to say about the franchise wars?
1: <laughs> Leave it this way. I, here's what I will say about the franchise wars. This is where the film gets IR right. Because if you. <laughs> the film totally gets IR right because franchise wars are built on the presumption. That, you know, there are increasing returns to scale. So, it, like, the whole element of a franchise is that it is more powerful the more that the brand is is out there, the more that people are aware of it. So, in that logic, there, you know, much like Highlander, there can be only one in the end on <laughs> it. Is, it makes sense that Taco Bell—it doesn't make sense. I wouldn't have predicted that Taco Bell would have won, but I would have predicted that one would have won.
0: Oh, Oh, I can imagine it's Taco Bell because of all the things they can do with beans and tortillas. (laughs) Like they've they've just, and also the assimilation of like various other aspects of food, like Doritos. I'm sorry. (laughs) They have found so many different ways to combine those things. So- you would think that's limited, but no.
1: This is a test case so Anna, I know my brother is a is a listener and I believe a patron of this podcast, and I'm going to tell you a story about my brother's love of Taco Bell, which is when I was out in California as a grad student, he came to visit me at one point. And, you know, you can get some pretty good Mexican food in California, Anna. But nonetheless, he was going out at some point and he called and left me a message on my voicemail machine. And at one point, just sort of randomly, he said, Dan, Taco Bell is so cheap here. It's amazing. <laughs> so whenever I think of Taco Bell, whenever I watch this film, whenever I think of Taco Bell, I think of my brother, who eats much more healthily now, I would add.
0: I just think that the ingenuity they show with, again, just the sheer number of things that they can create out of the basic yeah. items, it, I believe, that's how they won the franchise. Yeah,
1: wars. it would explain it
0: the ieds (laughs) (laughs) so anna i have a question for you yes dan
1: is there a critique of capitalism in this film
0: resonate some understanding dan (laughs) there's not much of a critique of capitalism in this film there are jokes Mm -hmm. and jokes about certain aspects of capitalism can be sat can be satire Mm -hmm. and and can be critical but i actually think like the you know on the surface happy joy joy but really dystopian future imagined here is one i could imagine glenn beck talking about Hmm. because the thing about like people embracing jingles as popular music and taco bell as hegemon Mm -hmm. look i'm learning oh well done well Uh, done (laughs) (laughs) thank you Is is that this horror of not having consumer choices and, you know, making health food mandatory Mm -hmm. and capitalism is just a fond memory, you know, and on the other hand, Dennis Leary is presiding over Galt's Gulch. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, a little bit. There's definitely there's there's a very libertarian element to that. Yes. Right. It's
0: it's it's the only place we see commerce Mm -hmm. in an active market. His rant, which is not good <laughs> and does take you out of the film, is all about choice right. and is all about that, like, I want to eat red meat and I want to smoke cigarettes and I want... Again, it's sort of parodying almost this IDW, like, you know, current non-argument that we're having about Do, the choices that are possible. To make
1: it error-appropriate, I think he was actually aping Dennis Miller at the time, but yes, yes.
0: Yeah, and who now is I, one of those assholes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And you know choice is good, and i I believe that we capitalism is a thing we have to live with, mm-hmm. and I enjoy the fruits of capitalism. I do mm-hmm. choice is awesome, but the movie really like it, again, I don't think it does this with thought, but I think it posits this world where there's like a dystopian fascistic monoculture that's controlled by the state, mm-hmm. and then there's the underground where you get choice mm-hmm. and like yeah. cool stuff. I do think this is a movie that Ayn Rand might have written, mm. had she had a sense of humor
1: and an editor. But yes,
0: and an editor and a sense of imagination. Yeah. And never mind, she was a horrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she would have liked this movie.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. It, it it's, like this way, it give it. It's, it's Randian. It's a Randian philosophy with a human face, as it were.
0: <laughs> Agreed. Well, now we have an important question. Yes, Is this movie schlock or awe? Like, give me your argument.
1: (sighs) Okay, so let's start on the schlock side, um, which is to say the action is incredibly weak. Like, we've talked about this, but, like, this this is supposed to be an action movie, and the action sucks. There's just no other way to put it. There was not a single, like, moment of action in this film that I really was at all interested in. Second, it is interesting that you tell me that the the subplot involving Spartan's daughter was cut out. I actually think they should have cut it out entirely. But when he's first thought out, he brings up the daughter. Like, it's the first thing he says. And, like, so I was like, do we ever get closure on that? And we sort of do, but not really. And I was like, you should have just cut it out entirely. Yep. And there are other aspects in which this is, like, you know... Not the strongest film in terms of continuity. So, I, I my my favorite point on this is that Phoenix finally manages to get the cryo, you know, like criminals unfrozen. Right. And if you cut to that scene where like he's briefing everyone else about how awful twenty thirty two is, you see that. And I'm sorry to use this, but this is the only way to put it. There, all the bad villains have biker chicks surrounding them. You know, yeah. much like a '90s film. And I kept thinking. Were they thought out as well? Or was like they're a <laughs> rent a biker chick store? Or like I I kept wondering where did the women come from? And I I apologize, like I don't know if I'm Asking this in quite the right way, but it was just sort of like they kind of had to be there to add color, but it made no fucking sense whatsoever.
0: Oh, it's just someone thought um, we need to have a biker scene, right? You know, we need to have a, a scene of the criminals. What does that entail? Yeah,
1: and then also <laughs> this isn't the film's fault because again, like getting things wrong about the future is not the worst thing. But like the a lot of the stuff seems kind of clunky in terms of the tech, like you, as you were talking about before, and so that doesn't quite work. That said, there's a lot of awe in here, you know. The world building is amazing. It really is. It, the world building is the best thing in the film, and and really would have been nice to see used for a better film. The su- <laughs> the supporting cast is outstanding. You know, it's not as you said. We've you mentioned you know, Sandra Bullock, Benjamin Bratt is really good. Nigel Hawthorne plays Cocteau. He He's you know a good bad guy. Um, the warden yeah. from Shawshank is in this film. He's also really good. Bill Cobb, always happy to see him in any film. So like these are these are good roles i did love the police chief calling spartan a muscle-bound grotesque uh (laughs) because let's face it that's not the worst description of sylvester stallone circa early 90s Mm. so you know yeah the schwarzenegger presidential library you know that actually i had forgotten about that and watching that this time i was like yeah that's not bad okay that that was actually some good forecasting and you know what it clear- apparently, they still have Zoom meetings in
0: 2032. <laughs> that actually, I was thinking, if you watch, I think there's Sony ads mm-hmm. for like a virtual presence. I think they look a lot like that. Yeah, like so, occasionally
1: yeah. I'll see like, I, I think there have been shows recently that have had like a, an iPad, like on a mobile thing. And it, it looked a little bit like that. Yeah. So, yeah, well done. Yeah. All right, Anna, what about you?
0: All right, on the schlock side, the sex stuff is super weird. I mean, I don't mean sex stuff really so much as, like, gender stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, there's also the scene where uh, Huxley says, thank you for rendering me unconscious, which... I don't know, like. <laughs> I think that was said, but
1: that was said sarcastically. I don't think that was, that. I mean. Uh, eh, maybe. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know,
0: I also noted the fiber optics and laser discs shout outs. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, sometimes you get the future wrong. Right. Uh, so it, it's hard to hold that against it, but it's just funny they go so double down on that. Mm-hmm. Like it's really like prominent. Yeah. I sort of made a joke before about the names in the movie. <laughs> Her name is Huxley, Dan. Get it? Huxley. Huxley. Yeah. Okay. And his name is Spartan. Spartan. It just, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't blame the whole movie, but yeah, I know. Um, it was not the most the amount reaction- of
1: energy they put into things. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The reactionary politics, like I said, mm-hmm. and um, the action is pretty bad. Yeah. Like, it's like, at first I kind of just laughed at it, like the very first terrible terribly planned out assault. Oh, the assault back <laughs> on in 1996. Yeah, which was, yeah, yeah. It was not good. I also like that he's snorting uh, cocaine um, at the beginning of it. Uh, that was good. I like that. <laughs> or, you know, uh, Phoenix is. Uh, and I, you know, Wesley Snipes is one of those actors who's pretty magnetic no matter what he's in. Actually, a little bit like like Sandra Bullock mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Like, you can watch him in anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually get a sense of joy from him in this there was no joy I'd rather joy more work. like no joy joy but more like working real hard
1: yes that's a good like, way of putting it. just
0: putting in every bit of effort that he could he
1: tom cruised this role that's what he did
0: <laughs> and then um uh the things i liked again i could just say lines from this movie forever <laughs> and maybe i'll just make them part of the show um uh no matter how Viking your era was, that's a good line. we need every cortex we can get in this situation. And then, of course, the aforementioned what seems to be your boggle. <laughs> Just great, great lines. And there is a lot of attention to detail mm-hmm. in in most places. You know, you refer to that, that's generally part of world building. Yeah. And again, when we've done our, is it good, 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 bad, or bad, bad mm-hmm. analysis of movies, the good, good, and good, bad movies the things that they have in common, I think we've established, is detail. Like someone's thinking about, thinking through, you know.
1: Yeah, I think this movie. Right, or at least the difference is that in a good, good movie, all facets of the film have yeah, that right, attention. Right, right, Whereas right. in a yeah. good, bad movie, there are clearly people of quality working on the project, but they're only covering some areas.
0: Right, and have thought through some things yeah. in a really interesting way, right? right? but maybe not everything right but um and this this is this has the potential to be a good bad movie Mm -hmm. right because of that uh and also Sandra Bullock is great just she's just great she's just she's just fantastic there's no she's America's sweetheart she's America's sweetheart and then also knitting is a really great way (laughs) to uh deal with anxiety I knit myself I think it's a it's a Great kind of like tactile way to undo um, your frustration. So, just
1: to add here, there's not a lot of actual emotion in this movie, but the one scene that I legitimately liked is when Spartan gives Huxley the sweater that he knitted.
0: It's very sweet. It was a
1: legitimately sweet scene, and it actually deals with the the awkwardness of the sex stuff like it was actually a nice way of dealing with that and so that was actually there's not a lot of subtle stuff in this film but that actually i completely agree and that
0: was genuinely funny i wish they hadn't had stallone like bemoan his skills as a seamstress as he called it like i i wish that what would have been funnier is him to just embrace it like be like like there is another throwaway line that's pretty good which is like he, she says something about how his uniform's torn up, and he says, just like, give me a needle with thread, and it'll be good as right, new. Right, exactly,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and I kind of wish that he'd embraced that, instead of being like, I can't believe I just said that, you know.
1: No, I think that would have actually been legitimately more interesting, and actually it would have been, like, more substantive, because it would have suggested he could have survived in 2032, so yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: So we have to decide now, Dan. Schlocker, oh. <sighs>
1: So I'm not gonna lie. I went into this film thinking, you know what? I think I'm gonna find that we're gonna finally have like a resuscitated piece of schlock that it was, or, you know, it was actually awe. But having watched it, I've decided it's must see schlock. In other words, it's yeah, it's not good, but it is a film that if you are a sci-fi fan, I I think you absolutely have to see at least once because there's enough that's interesting in there to merit watching it once.
0: Again, for the language alone. Yeah. I would recommend it. And, and we landed at the exact same place. Yeah. I called it Canon Schlock. There
1: you go. Okay.
0: If you haven't seen it, go see right. it. Or <laughs> go see it. Uh, if you have a, a time but I would there. add
1: that if you have seen it and you have really fond memories of it and think you're really going to enjoy it, if you watch maybe it again, maybe, don't. maybe don't like it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's diverting. It's, you know, I think you, you texted me that it is a laundry film. Is that, would that be yes. the way to put it? Yes.
0: yes. Yes. We've come across a lot of laundry films and yes. doing this podcast. Yes. I think that, you know, if you have fond memories of it and really want to somehow revive them, I bet that there is a YouTube clip collection of all the best lines.
1: That sounds about right. I bet
0: that is it. That is a way that you could you could revisit the early 90s. You could 90s. totally
1: YouTube the sucker.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tweeze your eyebrows. <laughs> revisit the early 90s. All right, Dan. We have completed yet another episode of our podcast, which has now been going on for a year and a half? <laughs> I think
1: it's uh, 16 months. Yeah, that sounds right. 16 months. I think we wow. just started, we started in like December of 2020, right? Yeah
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Sometimes I can't believe we do this because... <laughs> We do it for no reason other than we like it. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: by the way, if we stop liking it, we will stop doing it. But Anna, yes. I still like doing this. I hope you do
0: as well. I still like doing it okay, too. I, I really appreciate having someone to watch bad movies yes. with virtually, mm-hmm. basically. I can't believe that I've created a life where I don't have more friends that enjoy like going to see a Batman just because it's silly. <laughs> I should have more friends like that. You should. Why I do it what what is what has happened in my life that, like that's not something that's not something in it? I mean, I guess if I start dating again, I know of, of what a requirement will be. There
1: we go. So. And on online, I'm glad you will always have me as that friend.
0: Yes, yes, I, I that is that gives me happy, happy joy, oh, joy. Oh, yeah. excellent. All right, I'll remind people to become a patron if you haven't already. Uh, We haven't mentioned the Discord except in passing. Um, One of the really great benefits of becoming a patron is being able to access our Discord, which is a, a really lovely community that has conversations about all kinds of things including food and cooking, uh, lots of politics, also people's, we have a day job channel that has revealed that we have people (laughs) in the Discord that work in uh, national parks, Mm. toy designers, Mm. some academics. Uh, It's a really cool mix of people. A woman I believe that won a weightlifting championship recently. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really really love our Discord. And so that I think is, is reason alone to become a patron. And then also there's like, I mean, I guess if we weren't having fun, but we were making a lot of money, maybe we do this, but mostly we do it for the love. But every dollar you spend goes to support, you know, Karen's dog, Alwyn's college and kibble fund. So
1: and, you know, dog college debt is real. And we don't want Karen to have any is what we're saying.
0: Joe Biden said he'd forgive it. There you go. I don't know what I mean. Bernie, Bernie would forgive. Mm. Bernie would forgive the dog college kibble dead. That I know. (laughs) All right, until next time.
1: Keep this channel open for more.